0: Everyone, you've reached the full Contact Cannabis Podcast. We are here with the old hemp farmer. Our topic today is the domino effect of COVID-19. And we're going to discuss the state of affairs. What's happening?
1: Well, right now, I'm taking a deep breath and seeing how this is all going to shake out, Billy Hill. Man, it's so vast and
0: huge that it's, it's beyond you and I and... CBD and everything else. The big question is how the whole dang thing is going to shake out.
1: Well, one of the things that that this has done is accelerated strain on a lot of cannabis companies. Um, A lot of people don't know, but when you have a startup, you don't get all your fine. Most of the time you do not get all your financing at one time. You get it in, Certain segments. As you come in, you meet goals, things like that. So, what has happened now is because there was a huge amount of the people that not only were investing in cannabis, they're also investing in the stock market. And then once the pressure started going on stocks and stocks and bonds started just falling, okay. that a lot of people had to cover their margins and their and their positions on the market which then sucked a huge amount of liquidity out of the system. And so how does that affect you? Well, personally, it does affect us at Tennessee Homegrown because we're self-financed and we have a positive cash flow. So we're one of the few companies that's stable enough and has a balance sheet that will support us basically you know, going on another year without hardly any revenue coming in. But for the newer companies that weren't established and they were counting on revenue, you know, as soon as, you know, because a lot of the specially processing companies or farmers expected as soon as their crop came in or they started processing, they were going to have a large revenue flow. And the thing about this is, is that, because of this, we have a, a huge amount of people that are were dependent upon an influx of funds to be able to keep the lights on, to be able to do to expand, get new equipment. Well, that's gone now. And what this has done is spurred, all, you know, the law of unintended consequences. Well, if one company folds. Or let, let me pause
0: you right there is, mm-hmm. that, is that the old hip farmer's wife We hear in the background
1: Yes it is <laughs> Is she wheeling and dealing <laughs> she, Because of the Coronavirus she's at home Working Right, And so she's Doing her job Day job and I didn't realize We were doing it and I've moved And hopefully
0: the audio Will be better if you can get the mic pointed away from her, that might work. But let me say that if she has a minute, it would be awesome for her to join us if she wanted to.
1: Well, like I said, though, she's answering calls. I think that may may help a bunch there. Yeah. Went in another room, closed the door. Sorry about that, folks. So well, it, It's interesting, though. So
0: how busy have you been? I would think that this whole thing has kind of uh, re- tooled how you operate, how you sell and, and things like that. Is that
1: the case? Not really. I mean, the only thing that it's done is that we are had an increase in online sales. But we're our product is in a bunch of grocery stores, organic uh, grocers, and that sort of thing that are considered vital, So they haven't closed. So we're s- still in a bunch of stores that are still selling stuff because of where we placed our products. Now, if you had your products like in vape stores or CBD stores, which in a bunch of municipalities have been closed, then yeah, it's a pretty gnarly thing, but you know, we've been around long enough that we really do have a cult following and one way or the other, they're going to get our product. So the, the, the one big thing that we have saw is seen is an uptick in online sales. And does
0: that mean that you lean? I mean, I would think if everyone sequestered to their house that at some point you lean exclusively on online sales.
1: Well, no, because we're also 40% of our revenue is bulk for other companies. Right. Now, some of and So, and And a bunch of the companies that we are already servicing bulk were online companies. Ah, so the, okay one of the things that we really did, and I guess it's one of those things to say to cannabis companies, is that you have to have multiple revenue streams. That way, if one revenue stream dries up, that you still have some revenue streams in in you know different stores or different products. You know, which is once again though we're an older company, so we've been able to, to, to kind of go into a couple things because opportunities presented themselves, and so now we're back to uh, newer companies that may not have that that um, advantage,
0: right. I want to say to our guests, if you have any questions, you can uh, post those in the chat box and we would be happy to answer. So I can say here at the house with the added stress of worrying about possibly dying, which, uh, you know, when you hear somebody your age caught it and died, you know, five days later, it's a, it's a stressor. And, uh, my wife is using, CBD oil at night before she goes to bed. She's taking a dropper before she goes to bed and helps her sleep. And if she wakes up, she'll do one more dropper. And so her question was, how much should I be doing? Is there an average? Is there a standard? So what would you tell somebody who was taking uh, some tincture before they went to bed? How much would you suggest?
1: Well, for one thing, the FDA will not let us prescribe for any Ah. condition. Interesting, okay. We yeah. We can't recommend this product for anything. In fact, we have to put a disclaimer on our thing, is that the FDA basically doesn't recognize there's any nutritional or medicinal value of cannabinoids. Okay. The second thing is, is that because everybody, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, your body produces endocannabinoids. So just like any other the endorphins, adrenaline, testosterone, all these things, as you get older or you're in a different place in life, your body will produce less of it. Okay, gotcha. so one of these things is why we always tell people when they take our products is you know start low, start slow, and then listen to your body. I mean, the one cool thing about you know high CBD products are, is that you know, it's hard to overdose on it's, it really is user-friendly. It doesn't put any strain on your liver or things like that. So, you know, going from 25 to 50 milligrams of cannabinoids in a day is not going to stress out the body. And you, you and so you just have to kind of pay attention to see how your body reacts to the dosage. So what do you, that helps. Yeah. What do you think about uh, cannabis
0: being declared an essential industry?
1: Well, it's about time. Because this is the one thing we can say by having customers for several years. Uh, whether the FDA wants to recognize it or not, there's a huge amount of people that feel that their health and well-being is, has been enhanced by using high CBD or high THC or a combination of both gotcha you know so I guess we kind of circled around about talking about these things but right now uh, it's a really critical time in the cannabis business whether you're high THC or high CBD because we're in April and here within well, right now, right now, hard decisions are having to be made all over America. How much do I plant? How much do I invest in planting? Because, you know, you can throw out terms like 10 acres or 5 acres or whatever, but for every acre, that rep- represents an expenditure, and an investment. So right now, farmers are having to decide, you know, which – Farmers all over America have to do, regardless of whether it's corn, soybeans, apricots, whatever, is how do I think the market's going to shape up and how much can I afford to plant? And because not and and this is what the horrible thing about this is, is because of last year and an overabundance of cannabis on the market, that was already a hard decision. And then you throw all the economic impact of this rogue pathogen on top of it. And now there's people are sitting at their kitchen table going, okay, what do we do? Because here's a bunch of scenarios. One is that because last year was rough and now economic conditions are even rougher, Are there going to be a huge amount of farmers and people who are going to be going into processing saying, nope, this ain't the environment to do it in, and are going to pull out and just sit on the sideline? Now, if that happens, prices would probably go up for material, and prices for finished product would stabilize. But that nobody knows because – this is the one thing about the hemp industry is that since there's not any really been any centralized location where people can check in to see what's growing and where it's growing and, uh, and the amounts, everybody's going to have to basically do what they did last year and guess. And it's a really, really tough market to guess
0: So we have a question from PBG. If someone owns a small retail store, how will I survive? How will I get customers back once this quarantine is over? That's the million dollar question. And I think my first question is, do you have an online presence of any sort? And can you lean up on that? And speaking of that, I know that you guys at Tennessee Homegrown had just updated your website before this happened. Is this playing into... uh, I would think that this would uh, be some relief, but you're also out there delivering at the same time, as you
1: said. Well, what this did is we made a decision to go into online marketing and online sales, not because of the coronavirus or anything like that. We started seeing in November, December, a flattening out of sales at all our stores. So the idea was is to make up some of this flattening revenue streams is that we would try to enhance basically develop another revenue stream. So because we never really went into online, we concentrated more on stores. but you know once you saw that the stores were flattening out, and then um, well things like the kit podca- our podcast here, Billy Hill reached a whole bunch of people that couldn't be reached by stores so we once again I don't know whether it's you know luck or whatever we punched up our, our website made sure our online sales were getting as seamless as you can do that and so therefore when this happened we were kind of already, already there but to go back to what you said Billy Hill about a retail store because that's what's going on. The thing about it is, had did you have programs at your retail store for preferred customers where people that you could direct market them. And you had their email address and you could tell them what things were going on at the store. Now, if you did those things, then you can keep reaching out to it. And that and that's that's the key. If you did not do a good job of that, then you better start trying because the the thing about it is is you have to be able to say when you get to the point where people are leaving their houses they're starting to go back to brick and mortars that you you have to be able to reach out let those people know hey we're still here we're still a great store and we still have great products
0: and i do think that's a weed out quite a few stores so if you can manage to survive until we get to the other side of this, then, uh, I would think that that would be good for your sales numbers. And in the meantime, if you can't go to your store, then it might be an awesome moment in time to, uh, get online, figure out some strategies that you would want to use as far as getting on Facebook or Instagram, or simply just building, go to wix.com, build yourself a website and, uh,
1: Start figuring out that side of it if you haven't. Well, I can't, if you were a store that did not have a website, there's probably a pretty good chance at this point that Darwinian capitalism is going to make you go away. I right. mean, yeah. But the, the, the big thing is, and this is the other thing about you know about that retail store thing, how good was your customer service? Did and you connect product. with these? Well, but the, the the product. We're assuming that you have in a store that you're going to have some good products. We're hoping, but the big thing was because this this is the what happens is is yes, you go online and you can order things, but an online thing will not sit there or stand there and listen to you. And find out who you are, what you're about, and why you're taking that. And that's where good customer service comes, is that when that customer comes in, they don't have to, no matter what question they ask, they don't have to be filled well, that's a dumb question. And, and also the understanding that everybody, their levels of their understanding of the product is totally different. And, you, and that's why brick and mortars, will, to some extent, will always exist because people want to be able to go in there. Also, people like instant gratification. If I decide I want to get a product and I have a good relationship with a store, I know that 5, 10, 15 minutes later, I can be in that store and get the product I want and the product that's right for me. And, and it's
0: it's almost like an activity. It's a thing to go. To. It's like me going to a guitar store, you know,
1: right? I mean, if you got your favorite store, for one thing you can always pop in periodically to see if they've got anything new, different, exciting, or unusual. Which you know, because <clears throat> most websites are going to be w- one product line specific. Gotcha. And, and then like in my wife's case, she would want to go in and say,
0: I'm doing this, you know, uh, what do you suggest? And, but the flip side is, is if a pandemic, 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 if a pandemic hits hmm. and we're all stuck in the house, the, you got to ask a few questions, where will I get my toilet paper? How am I going to get food? And how do I get my, uh, my product that I take before I go to bed every night? You know, I
1: think that's as essential as uh, some of the other stuff. And now that you brought that up, Billy, Billy hell, there's the other thing about it's not just enough to have a website. Because if you don't have content, you're not attentive to your website. Because the one thing about with the Tennessee Homegrown, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, LinkedIn. Twitter, all those things. If you, when we have this wonderful lady who kind of monitors it, our, our digital ninja, Abby McCullough. And so anybody who comes in and has a question, unless it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, within 45 minutes, an hour or so, you're going to get uh, an answer. So that it's not just enough to have a digital presence. It has to be an attentive digital presence. Gotcha.
0: Well, what are your future plans? I think we're going to be dug in for a little while here. Do you, are you formulating concepts or are you just rolling with the punches?
1: Well, right now, we're always keeping one eye on the future because uh, the thing, because cannabis is so dynamic. Well, one thing my partner says, Lee Crabtree, is you get up every morning, you turn on your computer, And you see if somebody has passed a law or an ordinance that has changed the way that you do business. So one of the things that me and Lee have been talking about, and I think probably a lot of cannabis professionals has, will this coronavirus, because of the strain it's doing with revenue and a few other things, spur not only medical marijuana in more places, but also mm-hmm. recreational marijuana because right. it does two things. One, it's a revenue stream. And the second thing, it's employment. So I read this morning on the um, hemp industry business day, you know, hemp industry business daily, um, where Oklahoma, which has one of the most robust medical programs in the country now has state senators and legislatures thinking about, through the through legislation, just going ahead and rec- legalizing recreational marijuana. And I would see where a lot of people would start leaning on. And this is the other thing that, you know, the law of unintended consequences is the fact that now because of the coronavirus that we have – Uh, penitentiaries, jails, and prisons that are having to look at their prison population and go, oh, my goodness gracious. Right. And so what they're doing is why are we putting people in a prison for a nonviolent crime such as cannabis? And, and, And all over this country, now people are going through their, you know, seeing what who had, is in the cell, and they're letting people out. They got to, which is then going to be, well, if you can let people out of prison because of nonviolent crimes, why were they in prison in the first place? Right.
0: Interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. You know, it's going
1: to change us in so many different
0: ways, but I had not thought about these ways.
1: Well, the cannabis law is the first one, because here we're not putting people in prison. It costs money to prosecute people. It costs money to keep people incarcerated. And I guarantee you, as much pressure has been put on states, not to, to, you know, we can go into it because all politics is local. Me and Billy Hell live in a state that does not have a state income tax. So all the revenue that we get in the state of Tennessee, for the most part, comes through sales tax. Well, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out right now, the state of Tennessee, the amount of revenue coming in has plummeted. If people aren't going out, they're not, they're not spending. If they're not spending, there's no taxation. Good point. And, and Nashville is a perfect example. Probably 40 to 50% of its economy is service-based. It's the hotels. It's Predators games. It's the convention. It's musical gigs all over town. That revenue isn't coming in right now. So now, the stress on the local government here is immense. And this is being felt all over the country. So, because of this, people are going to re-examine things like cannabis laws just all across the board. Because not to say that it's a quick fix but what it does is enable you to do uh, at least something that will alleviate the pressure on on governments that just don't have money now and it's a topic that's already at the tipping point
0: of uh, discussion and you know it was right on the tip of everyone's tongue so maybe this will push it
1: farther I it, well, let's put it this way. The reform of the penal code, and like I said, putting people in jail for marijuana is going to look, be looked at extremely hard because it didn't make f- sense in the first place. And now, secondly, it doesn't make any sense. Right, right. So, and, and so, you know, and I think right now, uh, gosh, this is going to, To force politicians to make hard decisions that before, I mean, the one thing about legalizing recreational marijuana or medical marijuana is that, yes, for a small group of people, it was extremely important. It was always on the radar. Anytime that they could rally down at the state house, they would do it. But it wasn't mainstream. So politicians weren't forced to actually deal with it. Now, this is a topic that they're going to have to be forced to deal with. Very interesting. And I'm curious to see how fast
0: something like this might take shape. So um, your business as usual, the sponsor of the podcast is Tennessee Homegrown. You can visit them at tnhomegrown.com. How are
1: you doing on supplies? Are you stocked up? Well, we did a, one of the things that we wanted to do is, as a responsible business is a business. And I think responsible business, whether a cannabis business or not, are doing all over America is that we're trying to pump as much liquidity as we can into the system and still be healthy. So what we did is we went ahead and we bought enough supplies, bottles, tinctures, MCT oil you know uh, USDA ethanol for a good seven, eight months. And that did two things. One, it, you know, pumped money back into the economy. And the second thing means that if there is strain on our supply line, that for the foreseeable future, we're going to be okay.
0: And are you, I mean, this might be a personal question. Are you putting crops in? Are you waiting
1: to see? Oh, Oh, I just got back from the farm today. We have ah, Tate, which is our lead agrarian, I will have to admit did a great job. We have uh, four different kinds of moms. We have a a T1, a Sour Tsunami, an ACDC, and we've got what we call a Late Sioux. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to be growing any of the Late Sioux because we kind of got bit on it last year with the a frost. Uh. But yeah, we're ready. And here in two weeks, we'll be uh, cutting for our clones, uh, planning for a mid-May um, planning. <sighs> the only thing that we really don't have is and we have the luxury of being able to go, you know, change the amount of site is exactly how much we're going to put in. Gotcha. I mean, uh, but right now, and and that's but that's what I'm saying. If farmers have to. All farmers are having to do that, and it's it's doubly difficult this year because I don't think any farmer uh, doesn't have some questions on where is this market going to go. Uh, well, like I said, whether it's wheat, corn, soybeans, uh, apples, oranges, you know, what do we do? And and how will this all change how people do their shopping? I mean, think about that. Oh, yeah. If everybody's ordering their food, how will the concept of the supermarket change?
0: It's going to change everything. It's certainly, I don't know that, I mean, like uh, being able to have foods dropped off on your porch is going to change how everyone expects to be able to order food from every restaurant, I think in the future, I already went to Kroger and did my. I picked my food up. I would schedule a time, open the back, and the only difference is I used to help them load it up, and now I don't. Now <laughs> I put a tip over there, and I say that's a COVID-free five-dollar bill, and uh, then I wheel it home.
1: Well, the other thing that that I was talking about with farmers yeah. and is the fact that. Probably for the first time in decades, there are more people cooking, learning to cook, and are probably, even after this is over, are probably going to continue to cook. So in the world where now people are going to be cooking more, the, the ingredients that they shop for and how they shop, once again, whether it's delivered or picked up, is going to change. I had a friend who is an avid baker and they went to the where their little specialty shop and they were out of baking yeast. Cuz everybody's, everybody's doing it, right? Everybody's at home now bake so, so that that's one of the things like I said and you put it so well. It this changed everything. And so now farmers because that's a th- the, th- you know, that is if they think next fall that people are going to be looking more for ingredients to, to cook with instead of growing things that are something like Archer Daniel or Frito-Lay or whatever is going to take into a finished products because they're two different crops. Gotcha. oh uh. A lot of people don't know. A tomato that you cook with is a lot different than a tomato that uh, Hunts uses to, to make their ketchup with.
0: I wonder, you know, the solution to I'm a restaurant, how do I make money? You deliver, drop off at the door, and people hopefully tip well, because I know we have been, but uh, maybe CBD deliveries is the next thing.
1: Well, I actually got approached by a company who was Want to know if you know if we'd be interested in using their service? If we said, well, anything we can do to help you do that. But of but of course, there was going to be. I mean, it never really was that big of a deal here uh, in Middle Tennessee, but just because there was just a proliferation of places where you could buy it. But as these places either can no longer operate or close, and And like I said, right now, we got wonderful people like you. They'll order a $20 uh, meal and tip eight bucks. (laughs) PBG, speaking of your retail
0: store question, man, if I were looking, I'd get myself a little mail truck. I don't think you can buy those anymore, but you could get yourself a little truck, kind of like an ice cream truck type of situation. And then you become mobile and you do the drop off delivery piece and a whole sector of this market opens up that was didn't exist as far as i know before that's a pretty interesting
1: concept it's like dropping off the milk well there's been a couple people that have tried it but it it, it you know like everything in life timing is everything right well they're, <laughs> they're saying that milk delivery guys are back in vogue all of a sudden because of this everything is i mean and uh like I said, until this cycles through, and basically, you know, almost like a groundhog, you stick your head out, look around, and if it's safe, you come on out. And, and that's kind of what America is doing right now. And until that happens, that people who sell cannabis products are going to have to adapt. Well, my question is, is when will people actually
0: feel safe? It's one thing for someone in charge to say, it's A-OK, but it's another thing for you to personally feel like I can go out there again and and act like I did uh, prior to a month ago. I don't know how long it'll take for people to normalize.
1: And if we did, we could probably make money off that concept. But this is, I pride myself on being able to look at it you know, history and as a guide, we're in a situation right now that I'm not sure this planet has ever been. And it's not because of the severity of, of the disease. It's the fact that never has the world been so connected.
0: Right. Right. Easy to move around. It's like, you
1: could never stamp it out. I mean, I, I, you've been to Europe. I've been to Europe. And one of the things I, just can never get uh, it's you wake up in in Amsterdam right and then you go to bed that night in Nashville right
0: yeah just so easy to move around ultimately the end of this is a vaccine and you get that and then you feel good about moving around town and until that time comes we're where we're at right now
1: or or it does like things and you go through and I know people say this, but since I'm a farmer, I can say it. Herd immunity. I mean, the thing is you have enough population that's, you know, that has gotten it, or at least got a weaker form, and it'll start building up. But, but like I said, this little microbe, you know, because all farmers understand pathogens, because if you don't, you're going to get wiped out most of the time. This is a sneaky little critter. It really, really is. Most of the time, when disease hits, it just shows itself. And you know, that part of the field got infected. You can tell. You can look at the plants. Ah, right. Well, this is the sort of like, well, is my crop infected or not? Because half of my crop's not showing anything. But that part of the crop, you know, to use a correlation, could be carrying it and show no signs. Right which is the weird thing about this disease. Yes. I
0: just got off the phone with a guy who told me that he visited a family of nine and that he didn't have it. None of them had it and that I needed to uh, not worry about it. And that's the thing. how You don't know that they don't know that. And you can not just be making it worse for
1: everyone else. Well, one of my favorite things is, you know, cause we all are on our social network sites is the people putting up memes one way or the other. And it's just like, you're going to guess on this. Right. (laughs) Even just making a comment like
0: that saying, uh, it's nothing to worry about. You can go to somebody's house. Uh, That could be your idea, but to put it publicly out there, that's dangerous. And
1: you're, you know, well, what I'm saying is, yeah, I would bet you that if you get any of the real healthcare experts aside and ask them, what do you think is going to happen, and they shrug their shoulders. We don't know. Right. I mean, right. That's, that is the thing about – there is no – you can limit your exposure to other people, but in a world where people still want avocados from Mexico, you can't totally shut down the planet. Right. So how, how this will go. And so this is one of those things. Do you want to air? If you want to air, you want to air on the side of caution.
0: Right. Or like my friend go fully
1: out the other way. Well, how do we put that in the South here? Billy, Billy, hell God bless his heart. <laughs> yeah. Bless his heart. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess what we do now is let a little time pass and come back and see
1: what's happening then. Well, the one thing about it right now is there's a pretty good chance of we're 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 doing this next week. Things probably have changed. Mm. Well, let's hope hope for the good. Right. All right. Thank you for once again, Billy Hell. Thank you so much for the hospitality, and I look forward to doing it again.
0: Hey everybody, if you were with us live, you can listen to this in the future uh, on the Full Contact Cannabis podcast page on Podbean. And if you are listening to us in the future and not live, hit the follow button and then you will be notified when we do go live and you can be a part of our crew. PBG, I hope everything goes well for you out there in the retail world. My T-Sports, thanks for joining us and everybody else who came and went during the live broadcast. This has been the Full Contact Cannabis podcast. Cast sponsored by Tennessee Homegrown with the wisdom of the old hemp farmer. Thank y'all.